So uh, one thing I've got to mention before I get into the sermon is that next Sunday, my wife and I will be off visiting our family. Um, this was planned maybe five months ago, so this was not like, you know, we planned this, oh, we've got to get out of here. No, this was planned a long time ago, want to get away tickets, you know, non-refundable tickets, because we, we were poor college students. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be gone this next Sunday. And I, I assume that a lot of you probably saw on Facebook, I went fishing with Eddie, uh, you know, that was an experience. It was kind of funny because at the beginning he was saying, oh, we probably won't get too many bites. I think he was trying to prepare me and make me feel better about myself. Because then he dropped, the, the first thing we stopped, he, he dropped his line and then like five seconds later he pulls up a fish. You know, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you said we weren't going to get any bites. And then he's over here snagging all these fish. I got two and a half. Uh, a half because I spotted one that was floating. It, somebody threw it back out. Anyway, um, so yeah, it, it was an experience. It was hot. It was good. Uh, may, maybe someday, maybe in a few years, y'all will fully Arkansas. What do you say? Arkansas? That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> maybe in a few years, I'll have a long beard. I'll you know, have like blood-stained jeans from hunting or something. I don't know. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but... You know, maybe I'll be changed like that. (laughs) Speaking of change, um, I I remember going to Harding and then coming back after six months or even a year uh, to Waco, Texas, as I mentioned where I'm from. And I remember the change, right? Uh, I would go to Harding and it would be a while. I'd come back and, wow, oh my goodness, housing developments. As you all probably know, Waco is a developing City And it just blew my mind how much change could occur in that city in a short amount of time. And not only did I witness Waco change a lot, I also witnessed people I used to know, some peers that I used to know, they, they changed a lot. You know, one year there was, they, were, they were single, and then a year later they had a two-year-old somehow. I was like, wait, what? How do you have a two-year-old? Anyway, it, there was just a lot of people who changed a lot, whether for good or for worse. And there's one biblical character that I have in mind who went through some major change that is for good, and that's Rahab. See, she's another person in whom God's power is made perfect despite some weaknesses. See, Rahab, she went from being a prostitute to a parent in the lineage of Jesus. And so Joshua chapter 2, Joshua 2 verses 1 through 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land." But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut soon, as soon as the pursuers had gone out." I want us to notice how Rahab is introduced, right? A prostitute whose name was Rahab, right? It's like she has this reputation. It's almost like she was exclusively known as a prostitute. And oh yeah, her name happens to be Rahab. 
Don't we all know people with a reputation, or at least we think of somebody who has a reputation? Oh, yeah, that's the drug dealer. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the uh, thief. That's the X, Y, Z, or oh, that's Paul who preaches a sermon in the announcements, right? Well, we all know people with a reputation, or we have somebody in mind, and often we, we limit these people to a reputation. We think maybe they can be nothing more than their reputation, but let me tell you all something. We all have a reputation in common, don't we? We all have a reputation of being sinners. And quite frankly, it's not only a reputation, it is a reality. And so Rahab, she has a reputation. She has a reputation for being a prostitute. Not only was she a sinner, she had her own weaknesses. She was childless and she was spouseless. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you are spouseless or if you are childless, you are weak. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that these people in this time, somebody who was spouseless and somebody who was childless, they were poor. They were left in desperate need. Being spouseless was a big deal back then, a much bigger deal than it is now. Not that it isn't a big deal, but for them, they were basically homeless. They needed help. You see, there's a reason why James says that true and undefiled religion looks like taking care of widows and taking care of orphans. It's because those who did not have their spouses, they needed so much help. And certainly widows and certainly people who do not have spouses, they do need help today too. But then this was a totally different matter. And so despite her weaknesses, despite the fact that she was a prostitute, she was, she was alone in faith. See, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, like, kind of like Noah, Rahab, she wasn't afraid to stand alone in faith. Recently, I heard a Charles Spurgeon quote. It went something along the lines of, all dead fish go downstream. I think it's relevant since we went fishing, but all dead fish go downstream. Why? Because they're not swimming upstream, right? They have no choice but to go downstream. Just like people who, they're not, they're not willing to stand alone in their faith, they're going to go with the current of society. Whatever society supports, whatever society thinks is good, they are going to go with what society says. But Rahab Despite all of Jericho not having faith, she is not afraid to stand alone in her faith. And while she was alone in her faith, she was also selfless. So Josiah 2, I mean Joshua 2, Joshua 2 verses 8 through 14. Before, men, before the men lay down, she came up to the roof uh, to them and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now please then, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. 
And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. See, Rahab, she was completely selfless. She was not concerned about the probability of the situation. Right? She didn't think, oh, the king could come find me and find me housing you and kill me. He could kill my family. He could put us in prison. No, she was not concerned about the probability of the situation. How many times are we concerned about a probability of the situation? Oh, this person's going to think I'm crazy if I share the gospel with them. Oh, this person's going to think I'm weird if I, I pray for them right now. How many times do we think about the probability of the situation? But she does not. Yes, she could have been caught. Yes, she could have been killed. But She goes against the probability. She is selfless. She protects the spy. She protects complete strangers. She protects really enemies. That's what the Israelites were. They were about to take Jericho, and yet she protects them. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father was perfect." And so Rahab, she does exactly what this text says here. She protects strangers. She acts selflessly towards strangers, towards enemies. She also acts selflessly towards her family. She advocates for them. Now, we don't know what kind of relationship she had with her family, but one thing we know for sure, she was selfless. She was selfless when it came to all of her relationships, whether enemies or family members as we all need to act selfless with everybody we come in and encounter. Joshua 2, verses 15 through 21. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. And the men said to her, We'll be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your, fa- in your house uh, your father and mother and your brothers and all your father's households. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord and the window. All right, so the stage is set. She, she's met her into the deal thus far and now she's got to wait, right? Now you got to remember Jericho, it was besieged by Israel. Well, I say besiege. It was really weird. It was not a conventional way to besiege a city. So just to read this real quick, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it kind of explains how they besieged the city. 
Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. With its king and mighty men of valor shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn... When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Right Now this is not the, the conventional way of besieging a city. Right? Normally, all entrances and exits, they'll be cut off and no food or water in or out. And so the, the idea was that they would starve. They would eventually surrender because they had no food or water. Now, imagine Rahab. Remember, she is in the wall of the city. That's where her house is, so she can see out, right? Imagine Rahab watching all of this happen. Imagine Rahab hearing about, oh, how God took them out of Egypt, how God was so triumphant, how he put these plagues on the Egyptians. Now imagine Rahab watching the Israelites walk around the city with trumpets. What are they, a middle school band? Imagine Rahab just watching this and having to be patient with this. She had to wait over a week for this promise that they had together to be fulfilled. And she's watching them blow trumpets and walk around. It's not the most conventional way. Really, it is unconventional the way God had them take the city. But regardless, the city falls and the walls fall, well, except for one piece of the wall. Again, her house was built into the wall. So Jera, Joshua chapter 6, Joshua 6. Joshua 6, verses 22 through 25. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the the woman and all who belonged to her as he swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she had lived, or she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Three words. Rahab received salvation. You see, salvation is always present. It's always offered. It's just a matter of are you going to receive it or not. And quite frankly, sometimes I'm left scratching my head as to why somebody would not want to receive salvation. I mean, I guess we could point to a few reasons why. It's because they're not like Rahab. Rahab, who was not afraid to stand alone in faith. Rahab, who was selfless. Rahab, who persevered. Rahab, who was saved. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He offers you salvation. Imagine if, imagine if Rahab did not answer. Imagine if she said, no, I'm comfortable in these walls. I'm comfortable in this city. I'm comfortable in my past lifestyle. I'm comfortable in my sin. 
Thank the Lord she responded to salvation. Thank the Lord her family and herself, they were saved. And you see, not only were they saved, and not only was she saved, she was sanctified. Which is to say, she was changed, she was made holy, she was made morally pure. And how do we know this? Well, prostitution, it was forbidden in Israel according to Deuteronomy 23, and she became an Israelite. Therefore, she could not have been living her in her past lifestyle. And we see evidence that she changed simply by reading the text. Look how selfless she was. Look how she acted. It was so morally pure. She was not only saved, she was sanctified. See, a good way to think of sanctification, I think, is to think of sanctification as the continuation of salvation in your life. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through what? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Some people want to have salvation without sanctification. Some people want Jesus to come knocking on the door to just knock down the door and hand them salvation rather than themselves getting up off their lazy boy to accept the salvation and the sanctification. See, I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest with you right now. You cannot have salvation without sanctification. See, the life as a Christian, the life of a Christian being faithful to God is not for you if you do not want to be changed. People think of salvation in, only in the way of, oh, I'm saved from my pain. I'm saved from death. And while those are great things and those are true things, we also got to remember salvation applies to sin. Salvation brings sanctification. Salvation changes us just as it changed Rahab, Rahab who answered the door, Rahab who received salvation, and Rahab who was changed by God. She went from being a prostitute to a parent in the lineage of Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Salmon by the father, or the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And you can continue reading on, and you will see she is indeed a part of the lineage of our Savior. She was saved and sanctified. I know some of you have accepted or received Jesus. You have answered the door. He was knocking. You've been immersed. You've risen. But maybe you haven't gotten it fully. Maybe you haven't realized that there is sanctification. Maybe you haven't realized that the Spirit is going to change you. Or maybe you're somebody who has not at all received salvation. I'm not going to misguide you. Once you receive that salvation, it means being changed. 
It means having the Spirit work in your life to be made morally pure, to be made more like Christ. That is what salvation entails. And so if you have not received that yet, you have an opportunity now, an opportunity to be immersed, an opportunity as we stand and sing.